welcome to Advocate Like a Mother podcast. We are here to empower and inspire you to use your voice. I'm Ileana. I'm Andy. I'm Michelle. And on today's show, we have Sarah Doey. Sarah is a communication therapist or SLP for young children with special needs and their families and care teams. She is based in British Columbia, raising her three boys with disabilities. And she also specializes in working with children with complex medical diagnosis that require AAC. We discuss some of her unique relational methods in her work, pictureless word books, and the benefits of modeling, and much, much more. How are we doing today, my friends? Doing good. I'm doing good. Doing good. How's the pregnancy? Oh man, I'm 30 weeks. I feel like a whale. Um, well, you don't but, look you it. Know. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks. Um, but everything's going great. I mean, I really can't complain. It's it's just chugging along. We're getting down to the wire of like single digits, so it's slightly exciting and horrifying as these things go. But I'm excited. I'm excited. Very cool. Awesome. Hey, I wanted to ask you guys. Do you guys get respite? Yeah. Oh. It's really hard for us oh. to use. But Did yes. you, Does that mean no? Did you feel the deep sigh that just came for me? Oh, man. We, we had a respite, um, and uh, October, our respite person left us for a better job because, oh, man. obviously. Naturally. And um, it's just one of those tricky things of finding somebody to come into your home yeah. just with all that's going on, plus I mean, just let, let's be honest. I don't trust anybody with my kid. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a really weird, funky place to be in. So since October, um, it's been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, the reason I yeah. ask is because we're in the same spot. Um, our respite worker used to be Eric's dad, Eli's grandpa. And he left in, I think, August is when he stopped coming over and we didn't have very many hours we only had like eight hours a month but Mm -hmm. the reason he stopped is because they he worked for UCP and they wanted to start tracking him and have he didn't have a smartphone and so they wanted him to get a smartphone and get an app and track and make sure that he's at our house and that we have to like sign off on something and so he's like I'm out and so we just haven't had respite since then well today um Greta my 18 year old was like I want to do that I want to be Eli's respite worker and so I called regional center and one thing I learned today that I think is cool that you know maybe someone else doesn't know either is that they do special hours for school and so on top of the eight hours that we get per month we can also get hours for during the school day to have someone help us with that and then I was telling her telling our telling our regional center worker that I wanted my daughter to do it and she said normally they don't allow someone who lives in the home do it but because of COVID they're making special you know exceptions so just kind of wanted oh. to pass that along in case someone could use that I need a Greta in my life <laughs> right now um, <laughs> yeah it's we didn't we didn't have a lot of hours to begin with um, but those hours made a huge difference yeah. because we have a child mm-hmm. who is allergic to sleep and, um, <laughs> and so um and she's just you know we have we got a lot going on and so just a few hours we got a week made such a difference so yeah i'm i'm praying for a greta in my life or just someone but it's just hard to have people like strangers in your home yes. and build that rapport and feel like at ease that you can kind of move around your day and not think that they're gonna like 
I don't know, maybe I just worst case scenario of just always assuming crazy stuff, but yeah, it's, it's a thought, you know, it's definitely, you know, it happens to people. So you got to be careful. You know? Yeah. So, but hopefully it'll work itself out. But in the meantime, I need a Greta and I need some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had this, we, uh, Mercedes mom was our respite worker too. And when we moved to Redlands for a little bit, that all changed just from her, you know, being able to drive out there on a weekly basis, et cetera. So we haven't actually had respite for a while. I just think it's, I've never been able to wrap my head around, around why you lose the hours if you don't use them. You know, like, I don't yeah. understand that. It's like, well, we didn't use them for that one season, but now we don't have any. Like, I don't I don't really get <laughs> right. that. Like, you know, it's like, well, I need them now. My child didn't suddenly not have a disability. You know, right. like, right. Not like I, I'm never going to need that. Um, so I don't, I don't know. We got to follow up with that and then start figuring out a way to actually utilize it because we definitely need it. I mean, we could really yeah, use it. Everyone needs it, right? <laughs> yeah. But those, those, those extra tips are really helpful to know. So they're, so they're making a special exception with COVID for like siblings yeah, of age that live in the home. So that's, yep. so that, and then, and then the school hours thing. So what, yeah. what did that ex- explain that? Like, so like, she told me to send her a copy of his schedule. So he goes to school from eight to one thirty, mm-hmm. and she said that she'll add up the hours and that's how many hours we'll get. I was like, dang, how did that's I not know that's this That's really, really cool. Because I always heard that they those those hours just can't overlap. Do you she, know what I mean? Yeah, she even, said. Even though COVID, but I mean, listen, I'll keep asking. <laughs> right. I'll find a person that can yeah. help a girl out. Exactly. Yeah, keep asking. She did yeah. say that they're right now doing it on a month-to-month basis. Yeah. So every month Understandable. they, like, yeah, renew it and review and make sure that it's still something that they're, they're going to do. But... I was like, wow, I need this. <laughs> it's good to look into for sure. Yeah, especially thanks, thanks now that Eli, that. he started doing, he goes to, they call it daycare, but it's still at his school. He goes two days a week now. He goes Tuesdays and Thursdays. And he started doing that a couple weeks ago. And now on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, he is like angry. <laughs> and oh, he is not at school. <laughs> yeah, I think he was like, hey, I know what it's oh, like man. now to be with my friends and be on a playground and not be at home with you guys. So I'm just going to be defiant and not want to do my schoolwork with you. So I'm like, now we need someone else to come in and maybe he'll be good for them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> That's great. Um my mind just went totally blank. Um, uh, what, what was my my uh, my transition? I had it. Um, hold on, we'll get it here. It's a good thing we, this isn't live. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I'm like the the baby just flipped, and I'm like, oh, there goes good. my food. <laughs> um, uh, oh shoot, what was I gonna say? I had something. Okay, I got it. Okay, here's it. Here's it. I got the transition. Okay, here we go. Um. Oh, okay. Uh, hold on. Let me think how how I want to get into that. Yeah, I know for sure. Like, when I'm at school and then I come home, I would much rather be at school these days with all my children. <laughs> 
So I, I totally empathize with Eli with the, with the, with the anger. No, I, I know I would much rather be on a playground all the time for sure. Right. Oh gosh. Um, right. Yeah. So if if you guys out there also have any secret respite tips, um, send them in. Uh, Please on our DMs on Instagram or email us or contact us through the website, and we'll share those with people as as a resource, as some little hacks. And I, I think we'll uh, maybe we'll find a way to post something on stories about what you just said as a reminder for some of this new uh, pandemic related information with the at least Orange County Regional Center. I'd be curious. Like I'm in San Diego, so I'd be curious. And then you know you're in. in- uh, Inland Empire. Inland Empire. So I, I wonder if that's different across there. So maybe maybe if you're in any of those counties and you're not in Orange County, maybe make a phone call and see if that's actually true in other places. We would love to know. And so we can help uh, out whoever's listening. So um, very cool. So you guys are going to get a chance here to hear from our guest, Sarah Dowie. Um, super interesting. Uh, it was fun to chat with her even about uh, it's it's not on the recording, but her last name because it's spelled D H O O G E, and so it, it looks nothing like it sounds. Which is <laughs> so if, if you follow her, you're friends with her. I'm, I'm sure you're kind of uh, you you could chuckle about that as well. Welcome to the Advocate Like Mother podcast. Enjoy. Sarah, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on Advocate Like a Mother. Uh, we'd appreciate you first to share about your family and uh, tell us uh, what is one of your favorite activities uh, to experience with them. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm a mother of three boys, wild boys, uh, nine, six, and three. And I would definitely say one of my very favorite activities with them is a busy day back and forth to the hockey rink. Yeah. Yeah, so so I I grew up playing roller hockey. I'm a big Ducks fan out here in uh, California. So naturally, uh, you're from Canada, is that correct? Up in uh, where? Yeah, where in Canada exactly? Yeah, so I live in the Okanagan Valley in West Kelowna, British Columbia, and uh, big hockey lovers around here. And uh, we definitely have often the weather for it. And my boys play 12 months of the year. So there's just something about the rhythm of a busy hockey day that I just love as a mom. And uh, it, it definitely draws on a lot of skills and routines, and <laughs> but there's just something about coming together as a family to kind of make that magic happen of a busy day yeah. that, that I actually really enjoy. So yeah. definitely. Yeah, the pace of the sport kind of matches the uh, the pace of the day in that case, huh? <laughs> and the pace of my kids too, for sure. So, All right, great. Yeah. And then I had one really crucial question um, I needed to get out of the way here. Uh, do you share the same love of craft beer as your husband? And why does he affirm <laughs> that San Diego has significantly better beer than British Columbia? <laughs> oh my goodness. So my husband, he actually started off as a sommelier. So he was a big wine oh, snob, wow. but then we had boys and he could never finish a bottle of wine. So it became a lot more time efficient <laughs> <laughs> and uh, easier on the wallet to turn to craft beer. But um, the issue is that he's a big, big fan of beer, not from around here. So you can imagine him and the locals are sometimes a little tricky, but <laughs> Well, he's a big craft beer aficionado, so yeah. That's fun. Which is helpful, again, having three boys to have a steady stream of craft beer in the house. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I got I got four in the house, so there, there's <laughs> – that's great. Oh, you got it. Yeah I, yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. Well, we're, we're really interested to, uh, to hear about uh, your career and your personal experiences, and so I think uh, Michelle's got a, a question here to start us off. So what inspired you to be an SLP? 
So when I was first in university, I decided that I would get into teaching. My mother was a special education teacher and I was able to come and volunteer at her school. And I just was really pulled towards helping children with special needs. I remember the day that the speech language pathologist came into the special needs classroom. In Toronto, where I was working, they actually had um, separate classrooms for students versus full integration where I work now. And I remember her coming in and the lens with which she saw these children were just different than the lens that I had been um, observing and studying. Um, and I was just so fascinated at her ability to kind of walk into a situation and problem solve and, and just see it from that lens of the communication piece versus a behavioral piece, for example. Um, and I remember her saying to me that everything is communication and it was just kind of like a light went off. So of course I switched gears um, and instead of going into teaching, I decided, oh, maybe I'll go into speech language pathology. And that led me down the road to getting a psychology degree and then a master's in speech language pathology. But it really was that meeting someone that um, showed me a different perspective that, that really made me think, I really need to get down this path. Interestingly, in Canada, it's incredibly challenging to get into speech language pathology programs. I remember someone saying that the year that I was in, there was close to 400 applications for 30 spots. So a lot of people that come into SLP in Canada at least have other master's degrees or they've already had a different career and then they move into it. So it's a pretty intense um, uh, and I would say competitive to get in and then to stay in. And it, it's quite uh, an extensive program here. I'm sure it's the same in the States, but uh yeah, it, it's uh, it's been an incredible journey. Um, I feel like I've had a different job every year, as is the case as with SLPs. You get a lot of contracts and you move around. So, yeah, it's been amazing so far. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, on your website, uh, you specify the phrase naturalistic developmental interventions. Uh, can you share, uh, share more about uh, what that is and what that looks like? I and and the way I like to explain that to families is my favorite thing to do is to be invited into your home, uh, take my shoes off, get down at the ground, play with kids, see your routines, really kind of get into your world. And um, it was something I learned very quickly in graduate school. You kind of live in textbooks and you live in practicums, and and then you move out into your first job. And let's say you're in a clinic, you're at a hospital, and they're coming into your context, in your world, in your environment. And I quickly learned that if I was going to help these families, I needed to come into their world. So naturalistic to me is natural to that child. And developmental too is kind of starting, coming to a child with where they're at and where the family's at. And, and that's kind of um, been my big passion as a speech language pathologist is really seeing where's that child at and where's that family at and how can I help? Mm. Have you seen just like much better gains just on watching like the speed of development with more of your clients because of like that type of practice? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it comes with it, though. And, and one of the topics that I think we may be talking about later is just kind of, um, you know, how that how that our practice or our craft, you know, and the progress in our lives and, and what comes and goes based on our experiences. But in, being welcomed into families is a very um, personal, very private, almost sacred thing. And they're they're there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of understanding that has to happen. And there's also, I find just a lot of, um, you give a lot of yourself because you're, 
you know, walking into their world and, and trying to help them where they're at. Whereas there's a level of control you have when people come to you and your space or your school or your clinic. But when you come into their home as an invited guest, it's just, it opens up a little bit more vulnerability, which I feel absolutely makes a difference in your outcomes. Yeah. Your passion and intentionality is really coming through in the way you're sharing about that. So it's, uh, it's, it's cool to hear that you know, you see that as like a practice and a method you really care about. Um, where do you kind of continue to draw inspiration doing all the hard work, like being an SLP? Like what, where are you kind of looking in the industry or who else are you looking at that, that keeps you inspired and also as a way to kind of maintain even your mental health, uh, in your work. And I think, I think that's a really interesting question because a lot of speech language pathologists, um, well, I would say all of us are really into research. We're really into data. We're really into evidence-based practice. Um, I follow a lot of incredibly talented, organized, educated SLPs out there. But to be honest, I think where so much of my inspiration comes from is from, you know, the mothers that are sitting on the bathroom floor with me at 6 p.m. during a session and they're sharing with me how they work on getting their child to request more bubbles. Honestly, I feel like those moments that I've had, those really raw, um, vulnerable moments, is really where I draw the inspiration. I think as a parent of children with special needs, I get it too. I remember um, an occupational therapist once giving me a handout with strategies to do with my kids. And I remember looking at it as a as a trained professional who knows all these things, and I just could not for the life of me figure out how am I supposed to do this handout? It just, it, it, unless you are in my world and you see and you feel and you hear what I see and feel and hear, I just don't know how I can put those practices into place. So I feel like the inspiration comes from definitely those raw moments with families and also those, those moments I've had as, as a mother myself. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to bridge the gap between what I'm, what I'm supposed to do and what I can do. Mm. Right. So, what, what would you say are your biggest challenges being an SLP? I would say right off the bat, as a speech language pathologist, it requires a lot of executive functioning fuel. So my brain um, has to be on. <laughs> and as a mother with three children, um, with ADHD and anxiety and language delays, by the time I show up at work, the majority of my executive functioning fuel has been used being the external brain manager for my three kids and my craft beer loving husband, who of course was, you know, when kids get diagnosed with ADHD often, then we look at the dads and we're like, Oh, (laughs) maybe there's a little bit of, you know, that, that, that has come from dad or from mom. And that was the case in our situation. And, I think as an SLP, you have such high expectations to help families. But if you're a parent, you know, it's it's sometimes hard to summon that energy and that strength and to kind of refuel your executive functioning in order to help as much as you want to. Yeah. And do you feel like you're you're bringing your work home? I definitely bring my work home. But I think the more needs I've had with my own children, it has allowed me to have some really good boundaries. And, and it's, a, it's a work in progress. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think sometimes I, I meet a lot of parents who are then, oh, well, you know, you're doing it. You've got kids with special needs and you're a help in the helping profession. I'm going to become a CEA or I'm going to go and train for this. And I'm always very cautious to remind them that, you know, 
there is, there's benefits to that because you live it and you know it, but there's also the incredible need to remember that it's a marathon. No, that's, that's so true. Um, there's an Instagram post, um, where you said that you always tell parents that a child's prognosis is completely related to the parent's ability to cope. Can you expound on that? Yeah. And it's, it's hard because I say it so much, but every time I do, I still get a little emotional. (laughs) But I think, I think to be honest, it goes back to in graduate school before I became a mother, that quote was said in a lecture and I wrote it down and thought it was interesting. And that was back when I just felt you had to push harder and work harder and toughen up and then good things happen. Well, then I had my first son and two weeks later, I defended my master's thesis. So I have this two week old, I'm defending a master's thesis. I'm, st- I'm going to job interviews with maternity pants on. Like I'm thinking, <laughs> I just have to work harder. I've got to get tougher and whatever. And I developed such incredible postpartum anxiety from the stresses of trying to be a professional and trying to be this mother. And I remember that quote at that time that this is really about me coping. Like everyone's prognosis here, you know, my kids, my relationship, my family, my career, like it's going to come back to me over and over and over again. My capacity to cope is going to impact everybody's abilities. So I will share with you that that quote has sometimes meant I've lost clients. Like I have said to them, listen, right now you are best served by seeing a social worker to help you with funding. Or right now, instead of us focusing on some intelligibility concerns with your child, I would really love for you to get this respite form filled out. It's hard, it's a hard thing, because as parents, all we wanna do is help, right? And then you're going to the helper and they're like, you know what, you actually have to help you for a bit in order to be able to be your most effective person down the road. And and I, I often struggle sometimes when I say that to parents because their coping is the problem solving. Their coping is I'm going to see this person and they're going to help my child. But at the end of the day, if a child, if a parent is struggling, that child's going to struggle. That's, that's such an interesting context, you know, for this next question with managing kind of what, you know, what is progress? What is movement? What is success? Like, you know, cause like it's, it's interesting uh-huh. having this, you know, statement you said in a lecture without having kids yet, you know, to then now yeah. I've got a kid. Oh, okay. Well that reinforms that statement a lot differently than it did before. But, um, I mean, yeah, what, how would you, you know, how would you maybe observe then? you know, some of the growth that you have had, you know, both, I think in your, your career as an SLP, like what did the beginning look like versus where you are now? And then how has that even uh, maybe again, kind of informed, you know, the parenting aspect is as far as dealing with Mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. And I really can't separate the career from the parenting. I feel like it kind of all is, is at the end of the day, I feel like I'm doing a lot of, um, nurturing and supporting and problem solving and looking at progress, right? So looking at progress is how am I managing life and work? How, how are my clients managing the goals that we set forth? And, and I really, I'm, I'm in the school based system as well as an AAC consultant, augmentative and alternative communication. And, you know, I often get asked about IEP goals here in um, British Columbia, we have an IEP and you set the goals and then you try and meet them. And I really struggle with that model. Um, because then we come back and visit it six to nine months later and it's a check mark and, and it's just, it's on my experience as a parent and as a professional is it's a lot more fluid and it's sometimes hard to define what progress is on a piece of paper, but as a speech language pathologist, that's my job. 
I have to have measurable goals. So it's tricky. And, and what I often try and do is really connect with the family of these students. You know, what, what looks like progress to them? Because maybe to me on my assessment form, progress is certain standard deviation for, or a certain score, standard score on this assessment tool. But if that family actually just wants the child to be able to share something about their day, well, that's very different than what I would find in evidence-based practice using assessment tools. When I read that question before, I thought, you know, my hope is that for me, progress is that I'm a, I continue to be a kinder, almost gentler version of myself so that I can continue to support people, this coping part. You know, progress to me is continuing to cope and continuing to help, but not at the expense of one or the other. So I think that's that's progress for me. Yeah, that's great. Um, thanks for saying that. Uh, at this time, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear uh, from this episode's sponsor. And we'll be right back to kind of talk about some tools and methods that our parents can be considering uh, as, uh, as they're doing language at home. Whether you are advocating for your child with a disability or for injustice, everyone needs to be reminded that you are not alone and to keep fighting for what matters. Michelle started Littlest Warrior after her son Eli was born with Down syndrome and a heart defect and she was introduced to the world of advocacy. Littlest Warrior Apparel is here to make sure you look good while you advocate. Get your message out there and spread awareness without saying a word. Littlest Warrior has teas for almost every diagnosis out there. Go to littlestwarrior.com and use code ADVOCATE for a special discount for listeners. Now, back to the show. Uh, so Sarah, I'm sure a lots of our listeners are curious to hear about some resources or practices that they can be doing at home. Obviously now with distance learning and everything going on with COVID, you know, so many kids aren't able to do speech therapy in person and a lot of kids are struggling with even doing them over zoom Mm -hmm. and so we're wondering is there you know maybe two or three practices that you could share um, with us that parents can be doing at home to be helping their kids that's a really great question um i my middle son has some expressive language delays and when everything happens with COVID here and schools were out, I started to panic because as an SLP even, I was like, I'm not exactly sure where he's at. I'm not exactly sure what we should be working on. I don't know how the best way to do this. So maybe the first piece of advice I could say is that we're all in this together. Um, teachers, professionals, parents, we're all in this together. We're all trying to navigate these waters. And and if I could look back at last March, um, the best piece of advice I wish I had said was to spend more time from the self-regulation perspective because if children are dysregulated in any way shape or form then they're not ready to be learning speech and language like it's just it's such i keep coming back to this probably because i've got three boys with adhd too but it all comes down to we have to be in this regulated calm state in order to learn and if we end up not schooling in January again, I'm definitely be going to be going to the books as much as possible. Books are something that, you know, online, there's a ton of resources where they're free. Um, a lot of libraries now are, you can, at least here in Canada, you can request things to take out and it's, it's contactless delivery. And the great thing about books is if you pick 
a topic of interest that's that is your kids jam then there are so many speech and language strategies you can use just with that book so for my son who's six the big thing was story retell I'd get him to take a book that he's we've read a bunch of times and I'd say okay why don't you tell me this story and at this point you know he may not be reading all the words but, and I hope that it's one that's harder than he can't and just telling me what's happening that story retell works on so many language skills but it's in a kind gentle kind of relaxed naturalistic way to work on things um that that would definitely be a tool or a strategy that I feel that ha- doesn't have the barrier of access you know, and I, and I also, what I love about it is that um, it's something that we can do dependent upon the child's day and the rhythms of that child. So you find a moment there that they're regulated and there's a couple books laying right there. It's just a kind of a way to slip the broccoli into the pasta sauce. We're going to take a book and we're just going to kind of flip through it. And we're going to chat about what's happening in the story. And all of a sudden you've worked on so many goals that they'd be working on with an SLP. Yeah, that's great. When you know, so you mentioned books, and I remember um, seeing a post of yours um, on Instagram where you um, posted about wordless picture books, and the picture yes. you used was "Goodnight Gorilla," and I got so excited because that is literally my favorite children's book. Like, yes. you know, it's just I've we had that with the girls, and we read it with Eli, and mm-hmm. reading that with Eli was so great because that was you know one of some of the first words he said was because of that book and we he we would just read that over and over and over again and he just would crack up you know the the part where it's you know all dark and they say good night like he would just he was a baby and he'd be cracking up and so I just I love that book so much um but can you share more um a little bit more about why um wordless picture books can be so helpful and um if there's some method or model parents can use to engage these books most successfully? Definitely. And one of the reasons why I also love, you know, exactly what you shared, wordless picture books, is that you can have a few kiddos in your household at different levels of language development, and you can use the same book in different ways. So, for example, with my three boys, I could take a wordless picture book and I know that one of my boys is working on expressive language, so I could work on sequencing. So he could tell me what happened first, next, then last. Well, that's kind of one of his targets at school is being able to sequence. Um, I have an older son with ADHD and anxiety. Maybe I could use the book to chat about like, how do you think that person felt working on perspective taking or inferencing, you know? And then my youngest who's four, you know, we're working on language concepts, right? Can you point to the one that's under? So I just find wordless picture books are this beautiful way of taking the um, reading component out um, for kids that tend to memorize, you know, it takes that away too. I just love how incredibly creative kids can get and there's no wrong answer. So it's just this beautiful access point that so many kids can use the same tool in just different creative, wonderful ways. So Andy and I, um, we both have our kids going at this reading program called So Happy to Learn with Mrs. Brown. And one of the big things that she talks about is um, teaching versus testing. That's like a big thing for her. Um, How would you say that wordless picture books kind of play into that model? One of the biggest things I do as an AAC advocate is teach modeling. So modeling is us using the tool, us providing an example. And if we think of child development, children learn through watching us. 
do routines, talk to other people, sequence events. And we are modeling that the behavior, we're modeling the language, we're modeling the actions. So modeling is something that is incredibly important in my job as an AEC consultant, because I'll be giving an iPad to a student and let's say a CEA, and the goal is actually the CEA use it. So that's a very different concept that what many people are expecting me to come in and do. Like my goals are the parents are using it, the CEA is using it, the teacher is using it, and everyone's all panicked. Like, what do you mean? I thought the kid was going to use touch that. And I'm like, no, kids learn by watching. Kids learn by us modeling, us being brave, us trying to figure it out, and us being creative with the language piece and being and making mistakes. And having to start over again and that's okay and i think there's such incredible power in, in us being the model and we're just wordless picture books do a really good job of that i always suggest adults take a turn so that the kids feel comfortable doing it and then next time change it up be silly have the child be like no he wasn't doing that and and it just it's a lot more of an interactive engaging activity i find than the typical way we will sometimes think of reading with a child right I love how you, you know, you really seem to care about the families, you know, that that you're servicing and you really seem to care about the kids and it just, it seems very genuine and organic. Um, what advice um, or tips would you give to other SLPs uh, that are listening right now? I would, my biggest tap, tip definitely is that quote. You know, a child's prognosis is completely related to the parent's ability to cope. And we have to remember that these children are in their family for life. And if we don't provide tools and strategies for those parents, as uncomfortable as it is to sit on the ground and teach a dad to play pop-up pirate, it has to happen. And that really is best practice. And I can tell you, it is a lot easier for me to sit at a desk with a student and work with a student and then say goodbye and off they go with their homework folder. But it's that work that we do with the families and really putting the supports in place so that they feel inspired to do this work. And that in the end, I feel like that is coping being an active agent in your child's therapy, being involved in it so that when a pandemic hits or the clinic closes or your SLP's sick, you're okay. You've got those tools to keep going with it all. And then your child benefits greatly. So that would be my big advice. I, I say it all the time in IEP meetings. What do you think, Mrs. X? How do you feel about that? <laughs> and sometimes parents are like, whoa, someone's talking to me. <laughs> And I just, it's just so critically important. And, and I, the other piece of advice I would really say to um, speech language pathologists is to really also be mindful of your own ability to cope. So the prognosis of the clients that you work with, the prognosis of your students, your patients is completely related to your ability to cope. So if that means you need to see less patients and less clients and you need to schedule some quiet time to gather yourself and reorganize and restructure, in the long run, you're servicing your families in a much more impactful way if you yourself are coping. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that. I remember one experience we had um, with Eli during um, speech therapy one time. I could tell something was going on with a the therapist. She was she was on her phone the whole time, and you could just tell she looked like she was ready to burst into tears. And I, and I wanted to be like, are you okay? But I didn't know her, you know, very well at all, and I wanted to try to remain somewhat professional. But it was hard to watch because I'm watching Eli struggle. But I knew yeah. she was personally struggling, so it was like this conflict where I'm like, I hope this doesn't happen again, I ho- and I hope you're okay. <laughs> but it's it's yeah. hard sometimes when you are at work and, you know, there's a crisis happening to be able to set that aside and focus on your client. Definitely. And we're all human beings. And I honestly feel, well, and even if I didn't feel this, I have some very close families I've worked with that have told me this over and over again, that I'm very real. (laughs) I'm sharing that I'm late because my kid decided to hide in the back of the trunk and I couldn't find him. And, you know, or I dropped a kid off and I forgot about him. Like, you know, I'm very honest. And I, I feel that that honesty piece is what keeps me connected with those families. And I feel that maybe when I'm giving them a suggestion to do something that's hard, that they have to really kind of dig deep to do with their child, they almost feel, because I get it and I lived it and I'm being honest with them, that relationship, I feel like they're more apt to do it. Because I'm not gonna put them in a situation that I wouldn't be able to cope with myself. So I just feel it's really, that honesty is the best policy. You know, this is hard. This is going to be awkward. Your kid's going to hate it. He's probably going to chuck the book at you. But guess what? I promise you, it's never going to be as hard as it is right now. It's going to get better. It's going to be awesome. It's going to suck in the meantime. But just keep doing it, and I'll do it with you, and it'll be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess in the in the, so, in the spirit of honesty, I guess I'll have to confess that I often also hide in the trunk uh, from my family um, <laughs> when things are, are just just completely out of hand. So I'm already inspired by that comment. And publicly here and now, I've, I've stated that I do do that. And um, I'm asking all of you to keep me accountable. And so... Thank you for joining us today. You are inspiring and we're just so grateful for you spending the time to talk with us today. Um, Where can our listeners follow and support you on your journey? I have an Instagram account and I'm hopefully going to start doing some uh, posts there, sharing with families about kind of natural ways to support communication at home. So I definitely say Instagram is probably the way to go. As it tends to be nowadays. <laughs> and, what's your, and what's your Instagram handle? Okanagan SLP. Great. And then you also have a website too, right? Mm-hmm. And, and once my kids stop being so busy, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll be able to post more and blog. And, 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 and I think it's definitely a season, you know? Right now I'm in the thick of busy, busy boys. So I kind of do what I can with what I have and – and hopefully they are safe and healthy at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Well, Sarah, we really enjoyed our conversation today and uh, you have a great afternoon. Okay, we'll, we'll uh, talk again soon. Thank you for having me. Uh, that was uh, super refreshing of a conversation to hear. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love her. She 
is so genuine and you can tell she really, really cares about the families. I just, I don't know, like I feel like in our experience with speech therapy, I've never felt, and I feel bad saying this because hopefully, I'll, t- I'll say this, um, when Eli was in early intervention, we loved our speech therapists. <laughs> so I'll say our experience after early in- intervention, um, I didn't get to know any of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went to one place where each week he had a different therapist. And I remember saying something to the lady at the front. I said, how does how does that benefit him? And she said, oh, it's great because, you know, if your therapist is sick, you know, someone else is here. And I remember thinking, but that doesn't seem fair to Eli. Like, yes, like he'd have it consistent, but he wouldn't have the same person. And I just remember thinking, this doesn't feel right. And especially after talking to Sarah, like she, she seems really invested in getting to know the family and just really supporting them, you know, like holistically. And I just, I just love that so much about her. Yeah. And we shared on the episode too, how both uh, Sunflower and Eli uh, go to uh, Mrs. Brown's house. We're so happy to learn with Mrs. Brown. And so, you know, I, I think we, you know, if we're completely transparent, you know, her, you and I have imported some of um, her methods into like understanding how we work with others, right? And how our kids learn because uh, Terry's great. I think and I, we should reach out to her and have her on the show for sure. But, you know, her, her teaching versus testing um, you know, just model is so much of what, sh- of what Sarah affirmed of like, you know, as parents, if we're modeling uh, positive learning environments and, and it's like the, the child or the person feels like we're doing it with them, you know, the feeling is more, oh, I want to participate in a fun learning environment. I don't want to go into something where I'm being tested and have to do something X, Y, and Z. And I think that there is this massive gap and Terry's acknowledged this and Sarah, you know, seems to be kind of moving into that gap of like how do we how do I get to a place where the people that are most involved in that person's life that we're working with is actually like relationally practicing these things so which then they want to participate and they want to learn instead of oh here this person has arrived at your house now go do your thing where now you're just going to be kind of tested and assessed in how you answer questions and how you test against the questions um that is a, a very big psychological gap and so um i think I, i'm really excited that it sounds like sarah is addressing that and then she's you know sharing about what that looks like to kind of operate in that space and and, and kind of have a more consulting mindset um instead of the the operating assessor and you know teacher and uh you know applicator in that moment and i i think you know looking at those kinds of models can actually be really su- successful for us as parents i i and i'll admit it's not it's not easy it's not uh, with my three boys i'll sit down and read a book or kind of want to have these moments where it's like okay how can i get them to you know engage and i find myself asking too many questions it's and it is like it is that simple of a nuance kind of like saying oh what does that word say or oh can you sound out that word it's that difference of like okay how do i instead say say the sentence and then say your turn you know or it's like and kind of it's that it's that type of thing and um that's it's not easy but uh i i i'm with her where i'm like i'd absolutely encourage that practice because i've seen I have seen lots of gains from Sunflower interacting and participating when it feels like she's just participating with us in it. And it's not like we're putting her in a position to perform. Yeah. I remember when Terry first spoke about teaching versus testing, I was like, mind blown. Like, this is crazy. And then coming home and, and changing the way I interact with Eli and these things. And I, yeah, I saw huge gains. I remember shortly after that, 
we went to the speech therapist place I was talking about earlier that was not good and he's with a new therapist and I remember we sit down and she had kind of a thick accent so he couldn't really understand her to begin with and she brings out a ball and and she says Eli what do you do with this ball and he's I think three at the time so he throws it because we're working on throwing at home and she goes no you bounce the ball oh. and I'm like what lady come I was just like I, I'm surprised I didn't take him and walk out but I was kind of like I kind of want to see where this goes yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then she brings out a piece of paper and says um, I think it was I, I think it was a picture of um, like a cake and presents and she says um, what do we do at the birthday party and he says sing and she says no you give presents and i'm like oh "Oh my gosh yes you sing (laughs) we're working on singing happy birthday like Mm. it was such a frustrating experience and so shortly after that we i think that was probably our last session there (laughs) at that place and now terry has replaced um you know reading we call it reading therapy and i don't even know if that's the correct term but it's it's basically become speech therapy for Eli and um we just we adore Terry and and she is like Sarah in the way that she really does care for the families and um just really takes time to to get to know us and Mm -hmm. um just really invests in her families yeah 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 I'm I don't know what it's going to take I'm I'm hopeful you know, for a future of, you know, of accredited alternative educational experiences, man, that's a mouthful, but <laughs> I think that's a thing, but you know, cause it's uh, you know, as, as you guys are hearing us talk about this person, you know, Terry Brown, she's incredible. Um, you know, she's not like a, an accredited therapist. Like this doesn't count towards like hours in therapy. Like we can't actually take that and use it as the IAP, the EIP, uh, IEP assessment, you know, what we can do is, you know, record those experiences and actually show those to our teams and say, oh no, this is like when in these environments, this is how she's successful. But the theming and the, the, uh, the environments that are typically presented in the public school aren't practicing those same types of educational practices. And so it's, um, there's still a gap. And so, uh, it's hard. I, I kind of have to leave this episode on that tension of like, Sarah, I, I, I want to affirm Sarah's kind of transition and how she's approaching this. I think it's wonderful. I really hope that, um, SLPs can find room in their practices to maybe, um, grab onto some of those ideas and ways of doing it. I think that's going to be really beneficial for the future. So um, again, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode uh, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you could leave us a review on Apple podcasts, we'd appreciate it and share this episode with a friend access resources, episode notes, podcast merch, and more at www.advocatelikeamother.org. And if you're a company looking to partner with us via sponsorship, please reach out to us on our website. And lastly, follow us on Instagram at Advocate Like a Mother and join our community group on Facebook. Friends, we'll see you next time. Uh-uh.